This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. And welcome to What to Say When Things Get Tough, a podcast dedicated to helping you communicate effectively in difficult situations, both professional and personal. I'm your host, Leonard S. Greenberger, and it's just us today. We're going to talk about perhaps the most important criteria for any successful communication, trust and credibility. This episode will focus on the theory of trust and credibility, why they're so important, and next week we'll discuss the practice of trust and credibility, or how we can establish and maintain trust and credibility in difficult situations. And away we go. For any communication to be successful, two things must be present, trust and credibility. Subconsciously, we ask ourselves two different questions when receiving information from a fellow human being. The first is, is this person doing his or her best to give me true, accurate, and honest advice while taking into account my well-being and peace of mind? In other words, do I trust this person? And the second question is, does this person know what he or she is talking about? Is he or she a credible source of information? Now, these may seem like simple questions, but the answers are incredibly difficult and complicated. Thousands and thousands of researchers, scientists, and other experts have devoted enormous resources to understand how we decide what the answers to these questions are. And just when we think we understand something, it often changes. One way to define the science of risk communication is the attempt to understand how human beings decide what the answer to these questions are in difficult situations, when trust and credibility are low before communication even begins, and then what tools, skills, and techniques communicators can use to build and maintain trust and credibility. Because without those two absolutely essential criteria, you can talk until you're blue in the face or type until you have carpal tunnel syndrome in both hands, and it isn't going to do you any good you will never break through and win people over. In other words, when you think about what to say when things get tough, you need to start with trust and credibility. In most cases, those two key criteria are already present. Think about conversations that you have with your family or your friends or with colleagues, even with a minister, anybody in your life who you already trust and find credible. When you engage that person in communication, you don't have to worry about the tools, skills, and techniques associated with risk communication. Trust and credibility are already there. You don't have to establish them. And chances are, as you interact with that person over the course of a single conversation or over the course of a week or a month or even many years, that trust and credibility is not going to erode. In fact, in many cases, it will continue to grow. But when you do find yourself 
in a situation where trust and credibility have eroded, or you're walking into a communication with someone you don't know, with whom you have not established trust and credibility, well, that's when you need this podcast. In February of 2012, Mimi Alford published an autobiography in which she described her sexual affair with President John F. Kennedy during her time as a White House intern. The book got a little attention, but it was hardly major news. After all, Alford had not been President Kennedy's only dalliance. Judith Campbell, the reputed girlfriend of Chicago crime boss Sam Giancana, also claimed to have had an affair with the president. Others, both alleged and confirmed, include Jacqueline Kennedy's own press secretary, Pamela Turner, movie stars Angie Dickinson and Kim Novak, and perhaps most famously, Marilyn Monroe. At the time, the early 60s, the general public knew none of this. While several close Kennedy confidants, as well as a number of reporters who covered him and his administration, have admitted since that they were aware of the president's indiscretions, they chose to remain silent. Now fast forward from that date 35 years. From 1995 to 1997, another young charismatic president engaged in a sexual affair with a White House intern. When the news broke in January of 1998, it ignited a media firestorm that lasted for more than a year. We were spared no detail, and the president suffered the embarrassment of impeachment for lying about the affair, although he was ultimately acquitted by the Senate and remained in office. Now, you may be wondering why I'm beginning this episode of What to Say When Things Get Tough with a story about sexual relationships by two of our former presidents. It's not the sexual relationships that I'm interested in. It's society's reaction to them that is far more relevant to our discussion here. These are two relatively similar stories that took place more than three decades apart. In the first instance, when it came to President Kennedy, society didn't discover the president's indiscretions at the time, precisely because reporters who knew about them decided that the public had no need or even right to know about them. But by the time President Clinton came to office, the Kennedy-era view had become an antiquated notion at which most reporters would scoff. If the president did something, it was news. And if he did something wrong, it was big news. Prior to Vietnam War, most Americans held presidents in very high esteem. The same was true for leaders in almost every field of society. Business, the military, sports, entertainment. Societal shifts that began with the Vietnam War and have advanced through numerous corporate and political scandals over the past half century have steadily eroded the level of trust and credibility that most people place in those who hold positions of authority. When I was born in 1966, politicians, business managers, and military brass, prominent scientists, physicians, and other leaders were viewed as caring, open, dedicated experts by virtue of the title they held. For most Americans, the simple fact that someone had attained a certain societal rank meant that he, or at the time, far too rarely she, was trustworthy and credible. Now that's flipped on its head. Most Americans distrust people in positions of authority because of the title they hold. Martha Stewart went to prison for insider trading. How many bankers were vilified because of the Great Recession? Tiger Woods had extramarital affairs. Lance Armstrong was caught doping and had all of his titles stripped away from him. The scandal at Penn State, all of these chipped away at the level of trust and credibility that we as Americans and as a society place in people in positions of authority. 
And this trend has affected not just leaders in our society, people at the very top of the business and sports and political worlds. It's a big problem for anyone who hopes to break through and win people over when they're angry, worried, and suspicious. So more than ever before, trust and credibility are a communicator's most precious qualities. And they're also ephemeral. They're essential but elusive. They're difficult to measure or define. They're hard to obtain, but very easy to lose. You may have trust and credibility going into some situations on certain topics, but perhaps not on other topics. And that's something that we'll come back to again and again over the course of this podcast. And that is to know your audience, know your situation. Are you walking into a situation where your trust and credibility is low? If you are, or if you think you may be, then you definitely need to put the skills, techniques, and strategies that we're going to talk about here to use. For our purposes for right now, it's enough to know that establishing ourselves as trustworthy and credible sources of information is the most crucial prerequisite for successful communication. It's true whether you're the president, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a movie star, a journalist, a customer service representative, a boss, an employee, even a peer or a friend or a sibling or a significant other. In other words, it's important no matter who you're talking to. It's important for everyone. And again, most of the time, in normal situations, we don't have to work very hard to establish trust and credibility with our audience. That's largely because most everyday interactions don't take place with people who are angry, worried, and suspicious, or would have any reason to be angry, worried, or suspicious of us. Take our relationship as podcaster and listener, for example. Presumably, as the creator of this podcast, I hold a certain level of trust and credibility in your I can think of a few reasons why that's hopefully the case. First, I've been a professional communications consultant for more than 25 years, so you assume I have a certain level of expertise based on what I've learned and accomplished during my career. Second, it takes a lot of knowledge to put a podcast together, at least one that you hope will have some shelf life and endure and be helpful to people, and so you're willing to give me the benefit of the doubt. If this guy started a podcast about this topic, he must know enough that it's going to last for a while, and that I'm going to learn something. Third, it helps that I wrote a book on this topic, the eponymous What to Say When Things Get Tough, and that McGraw-Hill published the book. If they didn't think I knew what I was talking about, or what I had to say wasn't particularly important or valuable, or most importantly, that they wouldn't make any money selling it, they would not have paid me to write it. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, you don't perceive me to be any sort of a threat to you or to anyone you care about. After all, what's the worst that can happen? All you're doing is listening to a podcast. You didn't even have to pay for it. If you don't like it, turn it off. You never have to listen to it again. Maybe you'll be a little upset that you wasted some time on something that didn't turn out to be valuable to you, but no one has come to any real harm. And that transitions us nicely into the last topic I'd like to cover regarding the theory of trust and credibility. And that is... How do you know whether or not you're a trustworthy and credible source of information? How do you know when you're about to speak to someone or speak to a group if you need to employ the skills and techniques of risk communication in order to build and maintain trust and credibility with that audience? The strategies, skills, and techniques of risk communication come into play when you find yourself in what is known as a high-concern, low-trust situation. In other words, the person or people that you're going to be communicating with are concerned about what you're going to say. Now, what does that mean? Why would they be concerned? Well, there are any number of reasons, but usually 
it means that they believe you are going to be imposing some sort of a burden. The burden could be physical. They may fear for their well-being or the well-being of people they care about. The burden could be financial. Perhaps something that you're going to be talking to them about will have some impact on their bottom line. Or, or the burden could simply be psychological. You're doing or saying something that's going to stress them out. Now, in my career, I spent a lot of time working with companies that were looking to either build new facilities or clean up contaminated facilities. As you can imagine, in those situations, we were dealing with an audience that was very concerned. They were concerned that the new facility or the old dirty facility might harm them physically. What if we come into contact with air or soil or water that's contaminated? Will I get sick? Will the people I care about get sick? They were very definitely concerned about their financial future because if they lived near a facility that was dirty or lived near a place where a new facility was going to be built that wasn't there before, would that have an impact on their property values? And of course, they were concerned from a psychological standpoint, just having something new come to town, something new that they had to fight, that they had to worry about, not only for themselves, but for their loved ones, took time, took effort, took brain space that they would rather not have to devote to something. So when it came to those situations, we knew we were in high concern situations. And it's a good way to judge whether or not you're going to be in one too. If you have to discipline an employee, for example, that would be an example of where your audience is going to be concerned. So the first element is high concern. And the second element you need to pay attention to to determine whether or not the skills and techniques of risk communication are necessary is trust. Again, that all-important word trust. And in this case, what we need to look for is a low trust situation. The people that you're trying to communicate with would have a reason not to trust you as a source of information. It could be what we discussed before, which is that society has just gotten to the point where we find very little trust in people in positions of authority. And so we're therefore distrustful going into any communication situation with somebody we don't know, particularly someone we don't know who may have some sort of power or authority over us. Somebody might not trust you because they believe that you've done them harm in the past. If you are their boss and they think they've been treated unfairly by you before, well, the next time they get into an argument with you or into a difficult situation, that's going to come back to them and they're going to be less trustful of you. So that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a high concern, low trust situation. If those two elements exist, then you're going to want to put the skills and techniques that we're discussing here and we will discuss in future episodes of this podcast to work. And by the way, there are other communication situations you may find yourself in. One of them, the easiest, is low concern, high trust. And that's where we find ourselves most of the time when we're talking to people. Our family, our friends, our coworkers, I've talked about this before. Those are low concern, high trust situations where they're not worried that you're going to be doing something to them, that you're imposing some sort of a burden on them. And they have reason to believe uh, that you are a trustworthy person and a trustworthy source of information. This, by the way, gets to why word of mouth advertising is so powerful and effective. It's because it comes from a source that people find trustworthy and from which they have no reason to be concerned. And then there are two other specific communication situations you can find yourself in. 
high concern, high trust, and low concern, low trust, but we're not going to worry about those for the purposes of this podcast. We're going to focus only on high concern, low trust. So again, your goal in any communication situation is to establish and maintain trust and credibility with your audience. In many cases, in most cases, trust and credibility is assumed. But in one very specific kind of communication, what we have called high concern, low trust, trust and credibility has to be earned. That's where the skills and techniques that we're going to discuss throughout the course of this podcast will come into play. I'll close this episode about the theory of trust and credibility and encourage you to listen next week when we're going to discuss the practice of trust and credibility and begin to look at ways that you can earn it and maintain it when you don't have it, but you need it to be an effective communicator in a difficult situation. We now have a dedicated email where you can send questions or comments, WTSWTGT at gmail.com. That's the initials for what to say when things get tough, WTSWTGT at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at hashtag WTSWTGT. Original music by Jim Cirillo, who can be found at jimiumgroup.com, J-I-M-I-U-M group.com. Original art by C.C. Snetzinger. And until next time, always be positive. is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 7 customer support his venue never misses a beat call quickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.